Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. Today's episode and story is from Gold Star Mother Jill Stevenson. Her son, Corporal Ben Kopp, was a United States Army Ranger assigned to the regiment. His story is one definitely worth listening to. We will never forget Ben and the impact that he had in his short 21 years here on Earth. The book about his life, The Heart of a Ranger, is compelling and inspirational and motivates those who read it to be the best they can be every day, and it's no cliche. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all before they burn it down. Today's guest on Straight Outta Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero, is a really good friend of mine and a gold star mother. Her name is Jill Stevenson. I met Jill a little over three years ago while she was in Florida working on her life and doing great things for veterans down here and spreading the story about her son, who we're going to get to in this interview, but also just helping veterans wherever she could. And Jill herself, honestly is such an inspiration to so many people. She's a leader. She's a motivator. She's a connector. She is one tough Northern Midwest lady. I can't say enough about Jill. She's helped me on, in so many ways, not only in publicly, but even behind the scenes, Jill and I have. She's picked me up when I've been on the ledge and and we've, we've had this great relationship going. Of course, her son, Ben Kopp, is no longer with us anymore. Hence the reason Jill carries the gold star. And we're going to learn more about Ben today. But from what everything I can read about Ben and meeting some of Ben's Ranger buddies that were with the regiment, Ben was one hell of a young man. And he served his country with distinction. His grandfather was an Army veteran who served in World War II. And Ben knew what he wanted to do. And he, and he did it high speed and he did it with a lot of class and he was wounded in Afghanistan. Jill will share with us the story and, and came back to the States and ran into some complications and as a result did not survive. But a lot of Ben has survived and not only his spirit and memory, but his heart. There's been a book written by Bill Lund called The Heart of a Ranger and Jill will tell us a bit about that. But you know, enough about me talking. This story is really about Jill Stevenson and her son, Ben Cop, who we will never forget. We know it's a choice. We know we raise our right hand and we swear this oath to defend the Constitution. And of course, when we do that, there's a downside or maybe an upside, depends on how you look at it. And there is that chance that things that they might not make it home and, and Ben made it home, but he but he didn't he didn't come home all the way. Our heart goes out to him and to Jill and Jill, thank you for being here on Straight Out of Combat Radio. It's a real privilege and I'm humbled to have you here. Thank you, John, for having me on. That was a great introduction. I almost got tears in my eyes on that one. Even though I've heard all those things a million times. I'm honored to be here and to share the space with you and appreciate you allowing me the time and place again to share mine and Ben's story. You know, it's the least I can do. And thank you, Jill. I appreciate that. One thing that you and I and what we talk about is the heart. And Ben had such a strong heart that it survives today. But when you speak from the heart, you know, we can't make this up. And, you know, sometimes it's real heavy and we have these heavy hearts, but we also have these great memories. And Jill, share with us a little bit about Ben's background and you know, what he was like as a young tyke and what was going on in Ben's life as you were raising this young man and, and how he made it to the United States Army. Tell us a little bit about your son. Well, Ben was 100% boy <laughs> from the moment that he was born and literally came into the world of fighter, John. He was, when he was born, he was not breathing. And that was due to some painkillers that were given to me as I was switched from doing a natural birth to a cesarean. So they gave me some painkillers to alleviate the contractions and that caused Ben's heart rate to plummet and literally bottom out. And he was born in an by emergency cesarean. And when he took him out of me, he wasn't breathing. 
And I wasn't aware of that until a couple of days later when the, the doctor that came to visit us in the hospital expressed or shared that story with me. And, and I looked at him like I didn't know what he was talking about. And uh, he told me that he had never seen a baby go from a zero to a nine on the APGAR scale so quickly. So it was, we know it was the, the drug effect on, on him that caused that. But, you know, in looking back, on Ben's life. It's like he was, he was born a fighter, you know, when he literally did not take his first breath the moment he was removed from me, he had to fight for it. And that, that tenacity that he was born with never left him. It stayed with him until the day he took his last breath. Ben loved to be outside. I'm a child of the seventies. I was raised outside, not in front of a television. And I shared that sentiment with Ben and as well in raising him he was my only child. I raised him as a single mom. We had wonderful privilege of spending time at my grandparents' lake home in northern Minnesota. So we were on the water, by the water, all the time, outdoors. You know, we didn't go by bait to fish with. We dug our own worms. We caught our own minnows. Ben was taught to clean his own fish at the age of seven by his great-grandfather. And we spent all of the outdoor or the light hours in the, in the summer months outside. And I carried that through with Ben M through the ages in any way that he could find himself getting dirty, riding bikes, playing sports, which I still, you know, taught him how to do outside to pick up games of, you know, basketball in the driveway, hitting balls just outside with friends for fun. Those are the things that Ben enjoyed doing. He developed a very close relationship with his great-grandfather, my grandfather, from a really young age. And that was due to the time that we spent at their cabin in northern Minnesota. When Ben was about seven, he took notice of a curio cabinet that my grandfather had on the wall, and it contained his memorabilia from his time spent in World War II. He mm -hmm. served with the infantry and was in North Africa and Europe and fought in, in those conflicts there. He earned a Purple Heart, which was on display and Ben asked him about that. He wanted to know what that meant. He asked about the photos that were in there, and there were certificates of service. And from that young age, you could just see his wheels spinning and the admiration for his great-grandfather in knowing what he did and what kind of a man he was. And that never left Ben. Because I raised him as a single mom and only child, my grandfather was the strongest male role model that Ben had. And so he really endeavored to grow up and be like him. And he never stepped away from that notion until my grandfather died when Ben was 13. We spent a lot of time at the cabin, as I mentioned, so they became very close. And when he died, it was the very first death that Ben had experienced, and it absolutely crushed him. Mm -hmm. He said that it made him feel so sad that he didn't want to talk about it. Now, again, he was 13, so it wasn't tough to not make him talk about it because 13 year old boys don't really talk much anyway. You know, they kind of just grumble and grunt and not real <laughs> adept at having conversations yeah. with on any topic, right? So it was easy for me to give him that space that he wanted to cope with that death. Well, five months later, 9-11 happened and Ben took it personal. He took it very personal to him. It was an absolute mockery of his great grandfather's service to America. You know, how dare these terrorists come onto our land, come into our country and kill our innocent people, murder, you know, innocent people here in our country. And it upset him and it made him angry. That great sadness that he was experiencing turned into a deep desire to get revenge. And he, he made a statement at that wise age of 13 that, he was going to grow up, become an army ranger, find Osama bin Laden and make him pay. That's so poignant. And it's the first story that I've been told about a veteran who at such a young age knew exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah. Because of that kind of event, you know, and everybody in the world knows who was alive and was old enough to realize what was going on, knows the impact of that event globally. And to have a 13-year-old honor his grandfather like that his great grandfather. Uh, his great grandfather. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. And, you know, let's even just look at the fact of how many people huh. we know that even got to have relationships with their great grandparents. Not very many. Not very many. Not very many. And that that in itself was a blessing. And for me, definitely part of God's plan for Ben's life. And my grandfather, you know, to have that influence on Ben. And 
my grandfather was very, very wise. Any of my cousins, the grandchildren and the great grandchildren will tell you that his wisdom has always stuck with them. He was a wonderful, wonderful mentor. He was very loving and caring with the kids and, and taught them tough lessons. He wasn't easy on the kids. You know, he wanted them to learn things and remember things. And so they would stick with you. And Ben, as I mentioned, you know, at that young age, his admiration for him was, was so strong and, and only grew deeper. And he would say, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to be in the army like you. When I grow up, I'm going to be in the army like you. And my grandfather, you know, finally said to Ben one day when he was like 11 or 12, older, much older, that he said, you know, imitation is not the greatest form of flattery, that you shouldn't become something just because somebody you admire was whatever that was, that vocation. And he said, there's something out there that, that you're meant to be, and you'll know what that is one day. You're going to get a gut feeling that is going to tell you what that is. And Ben didn't really understand what that meant, of course, but and because his comment was, okay, all right, well, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. You know, my grandfather just kind of, you know, she's kid, you know, but it was two years later when 9-11 happened that there was that gut feeling that my grandfather promised Ben he would get. And I don't know, you know, I'm about three times older than 13 at this point, you know, <laughs> and I still don't know exactly what I want to be. And for a young man to have such conviction about what he wanted to grow up and become, I think is pretty amazing. You know, absolutely. You know, it is, you know, to be that, have so much clarity at such a young age and and have it embedded in his heart and mind and soul. And, you know, and you know, because you've been around Rangers, your son was one and you, you're part of the Ranger mom's family. Yeah. You know, it's a different, it's a different type of soldier. The dedication is run so much deeper than the average Joe. And I don't mean that with any disrespect because I'm an average Joe like so many others. The Rangers are, a, they're a whole different mindset, a different mission and uh, dedication beyond what you normally see. What were you thinking? You must've been proud for sure back then when he was 13 and he was saying that. What were you thinking as a mom? I knew that that was, he was speaking the truth. I knew that conviction was coming from a deep place in his gut. And it was born of, of his reverence and immense love for his and respect for his great grandfather. And that turned into that wanting desire to join the military. 9-11 sealed his fate on that, John. It absolutely sealed his fate. That to me, 9-11 is a date that is not unlike the date of his death. It's a calendar date that affects me every year because I know that's what caused my son to, to go the direction that he did. I knew that Ben was going to join the military from that day forward. I knew it when, when he was younger, but seeing the way that my grandfather's death in 9-11 affected him, there was, there was no doubt that he was going to go, you know, straight forward and keep his eye, never, never take his eye off that prize. And, and he did. And literally everybody that knew him, his friends in middle school, which a number of them I'm still in contact with today said they never doubted that Ben Cobb would join the army and become a ranger. And so a level of pride, absolutely, not just for what he accomplished, all that he accomplished in his short 21 years here, but because he lived with such conviction and drive and tenacity to become who he, he knew he, he wanted to become. He never said he never took his eye off that prize. And I'm much older than that. And I I still have trouble, you know, so you think I, w I would have gotten better at it after 10 years, but, you know, my son is, is my inspiration as well. Absolutely. You know, so fast forward so that he's 13, you know, it's in the stars, quite literally. He's convicted. He's made up his mind. You're still doing your thing as a mama and high school rolls around and, and tell us about the high school graduation and, you know, and then just thereafter, he was, it wasn't too long, he was, he was in the United States Army at Fort Benning. Right, right. He signed up on the delayed entry program. And so in the fall of his senior year, October-ish, he met with a recruiter. Actually, a recruiter found him, which is kind of a funny story, but I won't share that now. And has a January birthday. And so he was, you know, one of the older kids in his class. So he was turning 18 and January of his senior year. And he told me that, you know, he had met with a recruiter or talked to a recruiter and he was going to join, but I needed to sign the paperwork. 
I didn't hesitate to do that, John, because Ben reminded me that if I didn't do it then, that he would do it himself in January. So there was, you know, it was, it was good. He be was done. using his yeah. leverage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely was. And at that time also, he got notified by his counselor that he was really behind the eight ball for graduation. He, Ben, only liked going to school to play sports and, and for the social part of it. He was not academic. And the counselor reminded him how seriously behind he was. So he really hit the pavement hard, had help from a, a counselor who took Ben under his wing and, and helped him make up all but one of those credits. She had done everything that she could, and Ben was still short one credit. And she left that one to him and said, you know what? I've done everything I can. You've done great work, but you got to figure out how to get this last one. And she said, think about anybody in the community over the last few years that you've done a favor for, anything that you think would be worth asking for one credit to get you graduated. Now, to Ben, this was a big deal because the Army was expecting him with a diploma in hand. They don't accept GEDs. No. At least they didn't in 2006. I don't know what, what the story is today. But so Ben had, you know, he had a good reason to figure out how to get that credit because he was, of course, hyper-focused on on getting into the army and he didn't want anything to get in the way. So he thought in his head, you know, community service is what stuck out in his mind, those two words. And he remembered a time in seventh grade when he and a buddy were horsing around in science class and they broke a scale. The teacher knew that it wasn't intentional, but it was an expensive piece of equipment. And so they received community service via the principal to pay for the scale. Well, the community service entailed working with the janitors in the middle school for a month's worth of Saturdays. Now, the funny thing about it is Ben did it, of course, and he absolutely loved it. He loved interacting with the older guys. They all reminded him of his grandpa or great grandpa, I mean, and he liked that, you know, gratuitous work. They had him, you know, scrubbing floors and lockers and, and they actually liked him so much that they gave him a job after that. So it was hardly a punishment, but again, it was given in the form of community service. So here's Ben, you know, fast forward, you know, five school years later, and he had maintained contact with the, the principal that had doled out this punishment to him and visited her. He'd pop in there on his pat, way passing through the school because it was in the small community where we lived at the time, the high school and the middle school were next to each other. So he would pop in and say hello. So he had remained in her good graces. So he goes and knocks on her door and tells him that Pickle he's got himself in and asks if she would give him a credit for that community service that he did in seventh grade. And she agreed to it. That's awesome. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a great story. Because, no, it is. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how he graduated. That is how he graduated. And, and I think it's a great story because it, it shows his spirit and how fortuitous he is in his thinking that, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to go back in time five school years. I think of, you know, put it in perspective for you and I even, who could we go back to that we knew five years ago and ask a favor and something so huge like that. And and to be an 18-year-old young man and really to have the balls, I'm sorry, but, you know, the balls to go ask something of that to get a high school credit for something that he was actually punished for. So he he took that. And he did, well, yeah, and he did a good job at it five years previous yeah. that they actually decided, hey, we're going to reward him for this. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's a great story. And so when, you know, after his commencement ceremony was over, I meet up with him, you know, in, in the hallway at the high school. And I gave him a big hug and said, Ben, I'm so proud of you. I said, you know, you really pulled that off by the hair of your chinny chin chin. And he said, no, mom, that one fell out and I grew another one. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great story, though. And that that is, you know, again, it's a great tribute to him because the ingenuity, yeah. which, as you well know, Jill, that Rangers, yeah. you know, he carried that same type of thinking into his into his army training, you know, and he did. He absolutely did. Yep, he did. And he left one month after he graduated from high school for Fort Benning. And then did you attend his graduation from Fort Benning? How did that go down? I did. Yeah, the basic training, I went down for that. That was very special, really cool ceremony to witness and be a part of. And I was very, just incredibly proud of him. I had no doubt that he would succeed at this. 
but to see him stand with the pride and the confidence that he did in that basic graduation was was really impressive. And I just saw his the fortitude that that was contained in his spirit just get taller and taller. It was a wonderful experience. And he he fast tracked his way through for the the training that followed that and ended up being assigned to the 75th Ranger Regiment only seven months after he joined the army. That's really fast tracking. And so did you go to the Ranger graduation? Yes. Well, it was Ranger school graduation is what that was. And that's where they, you know, they earned their tab saying that they, you know, completed that leadership course, if you will, leadership school. Yeah. Once he was assigned there, there's no like celebration. Hey, I'm, you know, he's assigned here, but it's the Ranger school graduation. Yeah. And that was, oh my gosh, it was on July 3rd. Third, so it was and my my father and I had come down from Minnesota for that for a long weekend, and it was it felt almost kind of pomp and circumstance ish because it was the holiday weekend, Fourth of July. Like, you, could you be any more patriotic than that? <laughs> and again, just to see Ben having succeeded at at what he said he wanted to do was pretty impressive, and made me just lifted me up to a level of pride that I never even imagined I could feel for my son. Well, I can't even imagine, but congratulations, you know, all those yeah. years of motherhood coming to fruition and, and yeah. being a single mom is not the easiest task in the world. And, you know, kudos to you, Jill, that you hung in there and you did what was right for Ben. And I know somewhere, and you know this, we've talked about it. He knew who you were and I'm sure it wasn't hunky-dory at all, but I'm sure there were trying times raising the kid, but what a payoff. And so Ben graduates from Ranger School, which is one of the toughest schools that the U.S. Army can dole out. And where does he go after that? Was it Fort Lewis or where did he go? No, he was initially assigned to Fort Benning. And okay. So the 375th, 3rd Ranger Battalion. And that's where he ended up staying. So he did all his basic training there and then he ended up being assigned there. So that's where he was for the you know entire three years that he was assigned or that he was a Ranger. He was assigned to 3rd Bat. So he was in Fort Benning, Southern Georgia. When was his first deployment and how did you hear about it? Well, his first deployment was to Iraq and it was within a year of him becoming a ranger. So it was in 2007, 2007. And I don't remember the conversation that he and I had about him going, but it was an expectation. You know, as rangers, they there's not a question. There still isn't today. You know, they're still actively serving. They're the, they're the longest serving unit since 9-11. So they've not stopped deploying since 9-11. And and as you all know, we're in year 18 on that. So it wasn't a matter of if he was going to deploy, it was when he was going to deploy. And so it was an expectation, something I knew was coming. And what that did, John, is it deepened my faith. As a ranger with some of the training that Ben did leading up to that, there were times when he was out of reach, out of contact, because they were, you know, they, they couldn't, have conversations with anybody while they're away training, you know, they're deep into the training. And so it taught me to have faith and really to trust that God was going to take care of Ben and take care of me while I'm, you know, at home wondering what the heck he's doing and where he is. And so it helped me in a, in a sense, be better prepared for what was yet to come. How long was he away for that first deployment? For Rangers, their deployments are not, they're different than, we'll say, the big army, the big military. They're gone for about four months. Did you see him when he came back? Yeah, when he came back, he was, oh my gosh, it was really kind of a funny thing that Ben thought that he had grew while he was gone. Like He literally thought that he got taller. And I thought that he looked like he was taller also. And, you know, boys, I mean, at that point, he was 19. And boys actually do grow until they're 21 years old. They can. And we had taken his measurements in, in the basement, in the laundry room against the, you know, the wooden planks on the wall, the two by fours in the in the laundry room. We excitedly go down there and he, you know, takes his boots off and I get out the pencil to put level on top of his head. And, and it's, you know, exactly the same as where it was the time before. <laughs> and, you know, I was oh, like, drats, you know. No, I was like, sorry, bud, you know. It looks like <laughs> you're here to stay. Yeah. <laughs> looks like you're going to be, you know, 5'11", you know, but for the rest of your life. And we both had a good laugh about it, but we both really thought that 
he had grown because he just appeared taller. And that was all about the way that he carried himself. That was because he kept, and this is something that my grandfather actually taught myself and my cousins and then the the great-grandchildren. He said, when you walk through a room, when you walk anywhere, you should put your chest out, your shoulders back, and your chin up. And if you just do that while I say that, you know, chest out, shoulders back, chin up, you're going to appear taller. And Ben learned that at a young age from me because I learned it at a young age from my grandfather. And to this day, there are still people that I can, we can laugh about that with because Ben Cop was, you could pick him out of a crowd a mile away because of the way he walked. You know, he had that, that very, I don't even want to say prideful gait, it was confidence. You know, it was that, that quiet confidence and that humbleness that Rangers carry, but he just, it was special the way that he did carry himself. And being in the military, being as a ranger, really increased his confidence, his self-confidence. And, and so he appeared taller. That's an interesting point because, you know, I have, you know, there is, I think there's science behind that, Jill. They say that if you carry yourself, your posture, that it does, it exudes this, this, it's not arrogance. It's just like you said, confidence. And speaking of confidence, I know that you said he was quite the ladies man. Was there <laughs> was there any love in his life right now going on or what was happening there? Oh, yeah. he, well, Ben had a high school sweetheart. <laughs> they were together through up until early in their senior year. And then it just got, yeah. things got a little too rocky for them. But Ben always had girls chasing him. Always. He had a lot of girls that were really close friends of his. And when he left for the military, he didn't have a steady he had a couple of girls that, that he had been talking to more frequently. And then one that he had grown real close with, but he didn't want to fully commit because he knew he was leaving. It's hard for, for them. It was, well, it was hard for Ben. It was conflicting as to whether or not he keeps a girl here in Minnesota where he lived, or does he find a girl in Georgia where he also lives? You know, so he did have a special girl that he was seeing and they had, they had gotten closer. And unfortunately he died shortly after that, you know, they were only together a few months, but he never had a shortage of girls. He never, ever did. He was very likable. And of course, you know, as a mother, I'm going to say, you know, he was very handsome, but he was a good looking guy. He, and his personality helped that as well. He, he really was very charming and funny and he got along with everybody. He didn't fit into a category in high school. He wasn't the brain, the jock, the the, the nerd. Hippie, the, yeah. He wasn't any of those. He was everybody's best friend. He he really was, and girls included. And to this day, John, you know, he's been gone ten years, and I remain in close contact with a number of the friends that he made beginning in fifth grade in middle school. That means a lot to me, and that is also a testament to his character. That you know, Ben was so loved by them that they have wanted to keep a relationship with me and and that that makes my heart happy too i'm sure it does you know and you can tell a lot about people by the photographs and you know the pictures that i've seen of ben he's got like the smile on his face and you know he's always it seems like he's you know not like he's up to something but he's he just has that quiet air about him and you can just tell he's a genuine soul and you can just tell so he's he's confident he does his first deployment. He's got no shortage of ladies, but he's got high character. And, and he's he goes on his second deployment to Iraq, probably around 20 years old. Yep. And he comes back, obviously. And, and what was the second deployment like? Was there anything or was it pretty much Ben's back and business as usual? How was that? How was it? It hit him a little harder the second time around. And, and that one came just immediately following Ranger School graduation. So... After the graduation ceremony, Ben came to my dad and I and told us that they were just informed they were deploying in six days. So going through ranger school and then deploying a week later, that's like going through hell and then back through hell again. And how do you prepare for that? So he left, you know, six days later. And when he came back, you know, I think he just saw things in different things, uh, you know, I really have nothing to compare to because Lord help me that I never ever see what he saw. But when he came back, it was around, it was in the springtime. No, I take that back. doesn't matter when it was, but I remember that he had gone out to eat with a friend and a couple of friends and their mom to the local American Legion. So, you know, we're at a, a veteran. Right. And, 
And they went for breakfast and there was a couple of ladies sitting at the table next to him. And I'm just going to say this because this is how Ben described it. They were both very overweight. And he said they complained through their entire meal. They were about their food, about their service. They were rude to the waitress. And he came home and he was just livid. He was so angry. And I thought, what the hell just happened at breakfast? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Back. And he shared that story with, and it, you know, here he is just coming back from a deployment, you know, trying to, you know, providing humanitarian support to the oppressed, you know, trying to free the oppressed. And he comes back to an American Legion in his hometown and witnesses, you know, a couple of women being just completely disrespectful and rude. And it just, it made him really angry. It just touched him to the core. His conviction got stronger then and and, you know, we just had to have that talk and, and he came to grips with it, you know, fairly quickly that, you know, you don't have to put a face on everybody that you're out there helping, you know, freedom does come with the price and, and all the people that you're fighting for, Ben, are not necessarily going to appreciate it. And, and they haven't seen what you've seen either, you know, and it was a little tougher on him, but it, that helped build his character and make him stronger. That's a good story, you know, because we hear about it, you know, so many times we hear words like gratitude and generosity and authenticity. And a lot of people, I'm not sure if they really understand those words. And I, I pass no judgment. You know, Jill, we talk about that. And words aren't just words to some people and obviously to people like you and Ben and hundreds of thousands and millions of others that have served this country absolutely understand the meaning of those words. Yeah. And I have to admit, sometimes some of the stuff that we see these days, you have to check yourself at the door and say, let them think that way, but I'm not going to think that way and I'm not going to lower myself. And it's tough some days, you know that. We've had oh, yeah. that discussion. Yeah, most definitely. So he's done two deployments. He's remained convicted. He's doing his duty to his country. And, and then Afghanistan comes up. Was there any change in what was he thinking at this time, Afghanistan? Or, or did he just go and do his duty like usual? No, he had some very serious trepidations, fears about going to Afghanistan. It would be his first time there. And things were really ugly then. This was 2009. Yeah. And, you know, 2008 and to 11 in Afghanistan where there was a lot of casualties, a lot of casualties. It was pretty ugly. He knew that they were going into a circumstance that he hadn't seen before. It would be a different level. They were going to a place that nobody had stepped in for a long, long time. And they were expecting to see some pretty ugly combat. So he, he spoke to me, one other close friend of his and my mother about how he was feeling about that. And you could see that he was concerned. His mood was not as excited as he normally was to go on those deployments because that's what they trained for. That's what they trained for all year. So when it's time to, you know, get on that plane and head over there, they're like, yeah, let's go. It's fighting time. You know, it's time to get out on the field and put our training to use. And he didn't feel that way this time around. And when he told my mother this, she literally offered to take him to Canada. And it seems funny. And, and normally, you know, when I tell this story to a crowd, everybody laughs. And I said, you know, it may seem funny, but she wasn't kidding. She wasn't kidding because my mother lost her son when he was 11. My youngest brother was hit by a car when he was 11. Hmm. He died. And so here she was speaking to her grandson, one of her grandsons, who she was very close with. Ben was very, very, the two of them were very, very close. And she could see the fear and she could hear the fear in him. And she thought, you know, hey, if she had an opportunity to save him, she's going to offer it. Well, knowing Ben, <laughs> there's no way on God's green earth for all the tea in China. That know, he's going to he go to Canada, right? <laughs> that, right? You know, but it shows the really the mood in which he was speaking from to his grandmother about what he was worried about. And he never came out and said, you know, I think I'm going to die. I'm worried I'm going to get injured or, you know, anything like that. He just knew it was going to be different. When he went over there, did you all stay in communication on that one? Yeah. Yeah. As much as we could. Yeah. I just want to say again that, you know, in Ben, we know would never, ever, ever betray his country or his brothers in arms. I mean that he wouldn't even consider that, you know, there's, 
absolutely no way. So things are different now in today's world when even the Rangers deploy. In 2009, there was no contact with them. You know, they weren't even supposed to have their cell phones with them, but they managed. Some of them, you know, snuck them in something in their luggage. But the contact was mostly an occasional email, and then once in a while they would call. So it wasn't regular contact. You just knew when they're deployed, you just got to sit back and pray every day that they're surviving. The last conversation that I had with Ben, he left for Afghanistan about, I'll say this, like he snuck home one last time over Mother's Day weekend. He was home on a block leave for about two weeks over Easter. And then he found out when they were leaving and he snuck home and spent Mother's Day weekend with me. And we, we met with my mom for breakfast and it was a great last couple days to have with him. That's when he expressed, you know, the fears and the uneasiness he was feeling. But he called me a couple days after he got home and he said that, or back to Georgia, that home, that one of his buddies was killed in Iraq the night before. And now he was mad. And I just said, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, Ben. And, and he said, now it's game on, MFers, is what he said. And so, you know, learning about one of his buddies getting killed was what he needed to hear to get that fire in his belly lit again. And so now, now that conviction was there again, like, all right, it's game on, you know, I'm going to go get some revenge on these bastards. And so it, it changed his tune a little bit or his tone. But the next time that I spoke to him was on July 1st. And so he left right around Mother's Day a couple days. So it had been, you know, a month and a half since I'd had a conversation with him on the phone. And he, there was a distance in his voice, John. There was a sadness in his voice. Um, he said that things were as, as ugly and as bad as they had projected and as he had expected. It was, of course, very, very hot over there. And they were involved in a lot of, of combat and they didn't have showers. They had a lot of bottled water and that's what they used to drink and then to cool off with, shower off with as best they could. And of course, he can't give me a lot of details about what's going on, but I can, you know, I can hear this far away tone in his, in his voice. And we talked about the future a little bit. He had, he was reading a book by a ranger chaplain, a gentleman who was involved in, well, not involved in, who was present in Mogadishu for Black Hawk Down and was one of the characters depicted in the movie and the book. And he had read that and was really inspired by that. And that story in part is what made him want to become a ranger also. But this gentleman had, you know, served as a ranger and then been called away to become a chaplain and then returned as a, a ranger chaplain. And Ben was very inspired by his story and he also had competed in best ranger competition. And so Ben talked about wanting to do best ranger one day, but he was worried he couldn't because his low back was messed up from weightlifting in high school and for all the, you know, the ruck marches and stuff that he had done over the last three years. But so he was looking ahead to some things, but I could just hear the distance in his voice. And it was a tough conversation to have because there's nothing that I could say to him that would change that mood. You know, absolutely nothing. And the only thing I could say is what we would all say to our loved ones in a situation like that is just to remind them how much we love them and how much they're loved and and how proud we are of what they're doing. And that's how our conversation ended, you know, by saying, I love you. And then it was nine days later, I got the call or yeah, nine days later on July 10th that Ben had been shot. And they called you from Afghanistan, obviously. And did they say he was okay or what, what how, how was the conversation? They did not say that he was okay. The call was from his company commander who was, who was over there with them. And he said that Ben had been shot by a sniper and that he'd been shot in the leg and had undergone surgery and they were waiting for him to wake up. So Afghanistan is, I think, eight, eight hours ahead of us where I am. And this had taken place, it seemed to be a number of hours earlier. I really, to this day, I don't even know the time of day that he was shot. And, you know, when I actually received the call, how many hours later that was, it really is irrelevant. So, I, but I mean, I can't put a time frame on it. But when I did get that call, he said that he had been shot in the leg. And my question to him was, is he going to lose his leg? 
because back then, you know, we're talking 10 years ago, the injuries that we think most common with those wounded on the battlefield that they lose their limbs, right? You know, we saw the pictures of, you know, on television and in photographs and whatnot of, you know, these men and women coming back missing limbs. Right. And so that's the first thing I thought of, is he going to lose his leg? And he said, no, his leg is fine. I'm waiting for him to wake up. Well, they, they said they would be in touch with me and let me know when they had an update. And so I had to sit and wait, you know, really in the darkness, wondering when that next call was going to come and what information they were going to share with me. So the calls came, you know, subsequent to that, letting me know that he still hadn't woke up and they were hopeful to get him to Germany. They wanted to know if I had a passport that was up to date and that they ultimately wanted to see him end up at Walter Reed, but it would depend on his condition as to whether or not he was stable. So throughout these phone calls, it ended up that Ben was stable enough to make it back to Walter Reed. He had a, a little complications. He still had not woke up after the surgery. And so they, they kept him in a medically induced coma to keep him stable so they could get him back right. on U.S. soil. And so they flew my mom and I out to D.C., the Army did, out to Walter Reed. And we met Ben there on July 14th, which was four days after he had been shot. He still was not conscious. And the doctors that were, you know, had taken over his care at Walter Reed called my mom and I for a meeting the next day and informed us that they believed he was brain dead. And that was by manual testing, you know, by poking the palms of the hands and the bottom of the feet and getting no reaction and, you know, shining a flashlight into the pupils and they remain unmoved where, you know, you and I, anybody who's conscious and breathing and having blood flow, you know, our pupils are going to change size when they're dilated by light and Ben's didn't react. So they also informed us so that they wouldn't make that determination for certain until they could administer a very specific test that would determine that there was in fact no blood flow to his brain. And that piece of equipment was not readily available because it wasn't often used and it was very cumbersome and Ben had to be stable in order to undergo the procedure. So what that did is bought me time. It bought me time with Ben at the hospital. It bought me time to receive the prayers from hundreds, thousands of people that I didn't even know. Because at that point, you know, four days later, of course, word it got out that a ranger was injured, you know, Ben Cop was injured and was back at Walter Reed. And, and I wanted people to remain hopeful, John, until I knew without a doubt what his fate was going to be. And I believe in miracles. So, you know, we were praying for miracles that he would survive. And sadly that, you know, that wasn't his fate. And so it was eight days later, eight days after he was shot that Ben was legally declared brain dead. Hmm. But we also, when the doctors had shared with my mother and I that they believed he was brain dead, they asked if I would consider donating his organs. I didn't hesitate. I said, absolutely, yes. And the reason that I didn't hesitate is because my brother, the one who was hit by the car when he was 11, he was an organ donor. And my family agreed together to donate his organs because he was a kid a lot like Ben, just very selfless. And everybody was his best friend and he would have given the, the shirt off his back to anyone. And we knew that had he been old enough to make that decision for himself, he certainly would have done that. So organ donation was something that I grew up with. It was a terminology and action, if you will, that or a selfless act that I was very familiar with. And Ben, of course, was as well because I had shared the story with him in his growing up years about his uncle. And so Ben being 21, a legal adult, the decision to whether or not to be an organ donor was fully up to him, but we had to find some documentation of it. So we went in search of that and found his living will, which is something that the Rangers complete. It's, they call it a blue book, or right. at least they did then, prior to the deployments. And what that blue book contains is is your final wishes including you know where you want to be laid to rest where your funeral is you know flowers music pallbearers all those things that you can't imagine a 21 year old you know sitting down and having to write those things out but there was a specific question that asked do you wish to be an organ donor and ben wrote in yes 
And the question that followed that asked which ones and Ben wrote in any that are needed. And so we got our hands on that and had, you know, proof that Ben wanted that as part of his final wishes. And so, you know, upon his being removed from life support, he gave life to other people. He literally saved the lives of four people directly with the donation of his heart, kidneys, and liver. And then he enhanced the lives of about 50, 55 more people with the donation of his bone, skin, and tissue. On the battlefield that cost him his life, John, he saved six of his fellow rangers. They were pinned down by a Taliban sniper. And Ben, as a gun team leader, was called forward to to save them. And he did. And one of those, it was a team of six rangers. I'm sorry, three of them were snipers. And one of those snipers has said that he came, you know, he was seconds away from pulling a pin on a grenade to kill himself because he thought that he was going to meet his own demise by the Taliban snipers. And he didn't want to do that. He would rather have died by his own hand than go down by the Taliban. But Ben saved his life. You know, Ben came forward and subsequently took a bullet in the leg, and that's what cost him his own life. So he saved six buddies, six rangers on the battlefield. And then upon his death, he saved the lives of four more people. So at least 10 people can say that, you know, Ben Cop literally saved their lives. Thank you for sharing that story. It's real personal and it's real. I know it doesn't go away, but the comfort part of that, and I know that, you know, I've met some of Ben's buddies and you, that you introduced me to at some events that we've been to together. And they always spoke very highly of him. And, and there again, even in death, thinking ahead of time, he's already putting himself out there for others. And I would just say it's an inspiration. Like you say, he's your inspiration and he's not only inspired other people, but he's helped them to live their lives. And that's a great credit there to one of America's young men. And it's a lot for us to take in. And, and but it's also like a testament. We've been talking about testaments and just another testament to this young man. God bless him. So I know you've been a very active speaker and helping people, you know, telling your story and being an inspiration just like Ben was. And, you know, you talk about Benergy. In fact, I've got, I've got the Ranger sticker that you have that says Benergy and people ask about it all the time. And I, well, you, you know, you and Army Ranger, I say, no, but a good friend of mine's son was, and this is what it's about. And tell us about Benergy and also talk to us a little bit about the heart of a Ranger. Uh, Benergy is the energy that is associated with Ben's spirit. It came about because I received Ben's pickup truck. after he died. It's nicknamed the Black Stallion. It's this big badass Chevy pickup (laughs) truck that had big tires and had a lift put on it and it had loud muffler and well, still does. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. uh, (laughs) You know, I received it after his death and, and it took a little while for me to get comfortable driving and I had my own vehicle. So it wasn't like, you know, it replaced what I had, but because it was so special to Ben, I just, I hesitated to be in it driving it all the time because I was afraid something was going to happen to it. And I didn't, you know, it was like, you know, very precious commodity. Ben didn't have a steady girlfriend or a wife or kids or a dog. So this truck was, was it for him, you know? And that was his baby. It was his baby. Yeah. And I, I knew how much it meant to him. So I got comfortable driving it and I wanted to drive it to, you know, keep the wheels greased, if you will, and keep those fluids flowing. And, and there was something about when I was in the cab of that truck out on the road, that just this feeling that I got, and that was hard to explain. And one of the girls that Ben had known since middle school had moved out to DC to go to college and her mother was out there. And I met up with her in December that first year after Ben died. And she asked me what it was like to drive Ben's truck. And I said, Oh man. And I said, you know, it's just this crazy feeling that I get when I'm in there. I said, it's like, there's the, almost like he's in there with me. It's like his presence is there. Like I have this protection around me and it's, it's like this energy that just fills the inside of the truck. And she looked over at me real slow and she said, do you mean energy? I went, oh my gosh, yes, it's Benergy. And so it's stuck. And so now anybody who knows me or knows Ben or knew Ben or got to know him after the fact, even you, after the fact of his death, which a lot of people have, when we have a positive experience or receive a sign from Ben and, or, you know, realize that there's been this providential connection to somebody, we call it Benergy, a feeling that makes us feel joy 
to feel love, to feel a wanting to help and serve other people. It's Banerjee. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a household word. Maybe one day it'll be in Webster's Dictionary. I don't know, but <laughs> it's catchy and heartfelt. But in, in Banerjee, it's something that I'll say a friend of mine, well, he wasn't a friend. There's a, a newscaster that is from the Chicago area, but came to Minnesota in 2009, just before Ben got injured. He was actually an anchor on the one of the stations here locally. Right. And he was reading his hometown newspaper two days or two years later. So in 2011, and there was a story in there about Ben's heart recipient, who was from Winneka, Illinois, which is exactly where he grew up. And he was reading this article in the Winneka Times or whatever it is called about Judy and then Ben being her heart recipient. And he was like, oh my gosh, how did I miss this? And so he found my number and called me, told me who he was and, and that he had read this article. He wanted to know if I'd be willing to do a story about it with him. And I said, sure, absolutely. So we did a story. He actually came to Chicago and so did I. I was living in Minnesota still at the time. And we did a new story together and Ben's energy, his energy really stuck with Bill and his, his story. And he did a couple other stories about Ben's life over the next couple of years. And then his oldest son, after graduation, decided to graduate high school that he wanted to join the army as well and be in the National Guard. In order to do that, he had to undergo training for the infantry at Fort Benning, the very place that Ben did his infantry training. So Bill's down there during basic training graduation for his son, and he just gets overtaken by Benergy. He calls me when he gets back and he said, oh man, you would just not believe the Benergy I felt watching John graduate and just feeling that there. And he said, I want to write a book about Ben's life. And can we get together and talk about it? And I said, absolutely. And at that point, you know, we're five years out from Ben's death and I'd had a couple people contact me about writing a book and telling his story. And I, I didn't agree to it because I just didn't have a good energy exchange with them, really. Like the vibration wasn't wasn't good. But in speaking to Bill, everything about our conversation just, just felt right. And so we went forth with it. And three years later, we have Heart of a Ranger, which is the book that, that Bill wrote. And it's the biography of Corporal Ben Kopp, a hero in life and death. And Heart of a Ranger literally refers to Ben's heart and in part, you know, the heart of his spirit the heart of his energy and the fact that he literally gave his heart to another person upon his death and saved her life. Everything that you've described from the beginning of our conversation about Ben, it's kind of interesting because it's all about heart. Yeah. We talk about the heart, you know, and physically we know what the heart does, but there's a part to the heart that encapsulates the spirit of an individual. I got to tell you, the human aspect of this story is so much more than just the physical body organ. It's about so much more. And the spirit runs through, it seems like, everything that Ben touched. And I got to tell you, Jill, that it may not be an uncommon story, but to hear the story like the way you expressed it and to understand the people around Ben, it's the heart of a ranger, yes, but it's heart of an individual that means so much more to so many different people. And not only the way he lived his life, but even after he lived it. Yeah. Pretty heart-rendering let's say. Yeah. I just, sorry, I, I didn't mean to, to cut you off, but everything that you've discussed today about your son just hits home. It's not just an organ. It's, it's a spirit of an individual that meant so much to so many people. So sorry for that. No, that's it's okay. Yeah. That's okay. You're speaking to the, the mother of the heart of a ranger. So exactly. I, who knows better than me? And it's absolutely true. The heart is what connects all of us, John. And it is in that sense of spirit. And, you know, as we sit here today, we're July, August, September, October, you know, 10 years and three months after his death. And I'll tell you what, his spirit has not diminished one tiny bit in this life. He touches people every single day, every single day, you know, probably every other day, I'm going to say three to four times a week. I get a message, a photo, a something from somebody about Ben. It just goes without fail. And just today, just today, I received a blanket that a close friend of mine had done and sent to me that has photos of Ben and I on it, 
onto the the blanket itself. And it's a, it's a big blanket. You know, it's not a tiny little thing you put on your lap. It's big enough to cover my queen size bed. And this is 10 years later. I can't think of a more thoughtful gift in honor of Ben. And when I opened it, I just started bawling. (laughs) I just literally bawled and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, very, very special. And I didn't cry tears of sadness. They were tears of joy too. in the fact that he continues to touch people every day and, and inspire people to want to be kind and to, to help other people and serve other people. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful testament to, to his spirit. And truly, truly, it is the heart that makes that possible. I couldn't agree with you more. So that being said, and then the spirit of what we're talking about, and I feel like a part of Ben is on the other end of this microphone. If I was to ask Ben, hey, Ben, let me ask you this, young man. What does freedom mean to you? What would Ben say? Everything, everything. That's what popped into my head immediately because he he wanted everybody to feel liked and loved. And he made that his mission in life to be that person for people and not just the people that were in his life here in, in America, but to those people that were oppressed on the other side of the world. He wasn't a guy that wanted to be like Rambo and go blow things up and stab people. He was a humanitarian. He wanted to save people. He wanted everybody to enjoy the beautiful freedom that we all have. And that same freedom that he he knew his great-grandfather fought for as well. The freedom is ingrained in him. He was born, was born into his DNA to fight for that and to free the oppressed and to, to be the best human being that you can be to other people. Again, he witnessed that in his great-grandfather's character and that resonated with him and he just continued to carry on that legacy. And it still lives today in in both of them. Freedom meant everything to him. Well, thank you for that. So if somebody wants to get a hold of the book, how would they find it? How can they get a copy? And also, I know that you are, and we talked about it, you are a motivator and you're you're a speaker and and you're um, very eloquent and you're, I've seen you in action and I've heard you. So how can people get a hold of you, Jill? And how can they find the book about your son? They can get a hold of me and find more about you know what I'm doing and where I've been and invite me places if they'd like to speak and order the book on my website. And that is IamJillStevenson.com. So it's I-A-M-J-I-L-L-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. I am JillStevenson.com. And yes, you are. And thank you for that. Jill, one last question. And do you have a personal mantra? Do you have a, maybe it's your own quote. Maybe it's a quote that Ben used, how you live your life every day these days. Wow. That's a tough question, John, because it's changed. It's constantly changing. (laughs) The one that I have written across the top of a whiteboard that I have in my room right now, and that seems to have been drawing a lot of attention for me personally lately is trust God. And I know that Ben did. And if I could give myself advice, and somebody asked me this recently too, what what would I go back and tell myself? And and I did say that to trust God, that no matter where we're at in our lives, no matter where we think we should be, or what we think we should be doing, we have to trust God that we're being led exactly where he wants us. And that nothing that we do is wasted. Nothing. Everything that that we do and that we're involved in, that we say where we're where we're led is going to be wasted. It's all going to be used for the greater good. And Ben's life is a huge testament to that. You know, I can connect the dots from, you know, this is I think kind of a it's a long way to look at it, but it all makes sense. If you go back to my grandfather sitting in a foxhole in, you know, North Africa when he was 22 years old, 21, 22, 23 years old. Did he ever think that that position he was in would directly connect him to his great-grandson? I doubt it. I doubt it. But we can take my grandpa being in that foxhole and make a straight-line connection to the heart that still beats in Judy Meikle in Chicago today. That's from Ben, because he joined the military because of the inspiration he received from his great-grandfather. God had a hand in all of that, and and drew that line between us 
that includes you now. You know, so many other people have been weaved into this. And for me, the foundation of that, that bottom line is just trusting God that he's going to lead us exactly where we're meant to be. You're so right. Trust God. I just want to say that I've been I've been blessed to have met you. I know that our relationship's going to keep going. I know that you do an amazing work for so many people, and I know that Ben lives on. And as long as I'm uh, able to walk and talk and at least think halfway, I'm going to do whatever part I can to remember that young men like your son never get forgotten. Thank you. I thank you, and I again, I'm humbled and honored to have met you, and I look forward to our next meeting and. You know, if you're looking for an inspirational story, a book that can help you maybe turn your own life around or offer you some solace or some inspiration, The Heart of a Ranger, The Story of Ben Cop is one that you definitely want to read. And if you're looking to inspire your organization, your company, or anything that might require some motivation and inspiration, please visit Jill Stevenson's website at imjillstevenson.com. And it's O-N, not E-N. Just thank you very much, Jill, for being here on Straight Outta Combat. Thank you, John. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.